Welcome to episode 21 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I am your co-host, Mandy Conan. Before we get started today, getting really close to RelateCon, so we're going to plug it again. And Mandy is our local con expert, so I'm going to turn it over to her. Just wanted to remind you guys not to forget RelateCon, March 29th through the 31st. We're holding it in Boise, Idaho. There's some awesome, awesome presenters that are going to be there. Teakful Wolf, who writes and draws kimchi cuddles, will be there. Red Robin, who is an amazing sex educator from Vancouver, will be there. Sarah Neil that we have had on the podcast. Yes. I don't know if she's aired yet or not, she's but not. you will hear from her. Yeah, we, we just did an episode <laughs> with her, but it's at least four weeks out. Yeah. Probably six. She is an awesome life and spiritual coach. She'll be presenting there. Misty Penman, who is one of my all-time favorite presenters, is going to do Poly 101 and 201 (laughs) there. She's awesome. And Krista and Ford, who also present with Misty. They are part of a polycule. They are all awesome. They're part of a polycule that's out of Utah. Some of my favorite people on the planet. And there happens to be this really cool chick named Mandy Conant that's uh, (laughs) presenting there as well. Doing a class called Breaking Up is Hard to Do, Transitioning Relationships and Non-Monogamy, and Parenting While Poly. It's great. Not only is there a lot of education at RelateCon, but there's also a lot of socialization. Saturday night's going to be a big social, and Friday night's a dinner. It's going to be super fun. This will be the third one that I've gone to. Jennifer Hyde puts on a great con, so if you guys can make it, please do. The tickets are reasonable, the hotel is reasonable, and it's really, really worth it. Plus, you get a trip to Idaho out of it. (laughs) Right? Yes, to Boise, Idaho. Yeah. No, no, you have to say it right. It's Boise. Boise? Boise? Boise, Idaho. Idaho. I was educated. Boise. Okay. Boise. Good to know. It's Boise. Also, do not forget APW, June 7th through the 9th. It is in Atlanta, of course. It's Atlanta Poly Weekend. It is at the Sheraton Atlanta Gorgeous Hotel. It is very similar to RelayCon, where it is a lot of education and a lot of socialization. The thing that's different about Atlanta Poly Weekend than most all poly conferences is that we are family friendly. Mm. We are kid friendly. I would say most of our classes are kid friendly. We do have some adult classes. They're marked 18 and over though. And usually much later in the evening. We have a hella good time. We have an awesome pool party on Friday nights. The pool is saltwater, which is fun. Yes. This year on Saturday night, we've got a pajama jam. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It will be karaoke and games in our pajamas. I'm going to have to buy pajamas so, for this. Yes. You have to buy pajamas. <laughs> That will also be kid-friendly until a certain point, and then no kids allowed after a certain hour. the jammies come off. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. We could be less jammy-clad at that point. (laughs) 
But tickets are on sale right now. We're going to announce presenters in about two weeks, presenters and classes. But uh, what's super, super awesome right now is that there is a 25% off sale till the end of February. So you're only having to pay $60 for a ticket. To get that discount, however, you will need a code. Code is LOVE25. L-O-V-E-2-5, no spaces. So don't forget to put that in when you are getting your APW passes. And it has to be used before the end of February. So you have about one week. So if you want to come, do it now. Buy your registration now. The room block will be up in the next couple weeks also. So you'll be able to reserve your hotel room. And what am I forgetting? I don't think anything specific about that. Although I will say the first year I came, I didn't do the hotel. It was not nearly as fun as the years I've done the hotel. Right. There's so much that happens at night and you don't want to have to be driving there and back all the time or Ubering somewhere there and back all the time. And and it's like going to camp and then actually staying at a hotel nearby. You, you want to be at the camp with everybody else if you can. Plus, it helps support the con. Yes. You know, of course, within our contract, we they want us to book a certain amount of rooms in our room block. So we definitely suggest you book at the hotel. Not only is it a gorgeous hotel, it's only 120 a night. And it the pool, I mean, the pool makes it. Like Michael said, the pool is amazing. And then so just to clarify, uh, if you guys... I mean, you're listening to the show, so I assume you like us, you like our work. At RelayCon, Mandy will be there presenting, and at Atlanta Poly Weekend, both Mandy and I will be there presenting individual separate classes. Between the two of us, I think that's like six classes that you could go to. And then we're going to do a live taping of probably Poly at that event at IPW. Yep, we will be. It's going to be super fun, and if anybody has any suggestions on a topic... That would be greatly appreciated. We were kind of brainstorming earlier and we don't know what the topic's going to be at APW. So we would love for your input. Okay, so that is actually the most fun intro for the least fun show that I can think about. (laughs) So if you're part of the Poly community this week, there's been big waves being made in the community. Every single Poly board that I'm a part of has had an article come across its desk. Yes. I mean, there's basically been a nuclear explosion in the Poly community. Yeah, that sounds about right. The original article came out on February 11th on medium.com. So 11 days ago, there was an open letter titled On Light and Shadow, Polyamory's Me Too, which is, of course, referencing the Me Too movement and the kind of abuses that people face that are not believed, which is the point of the Me Too, is to help it become believed. So this open letter is written by a group that includes a therapist. This is from the article who specializes in abuse and trauma and experience in anti-abuse work and transformative justice as well as scene organizers and other members with necessary skill, composed this open letter. And then the content of the open letter comes from the testimonies of six members of a survivor's pod for abuse from Franklin Vaux of more than two fame. Because this is such a big and important, meaningful event in the polyamorous community and the non-monogamy community, we decided that we wanted to talk about this episode as quickly as possible so that we could be part of the dialogue and the discourse. Which means if you are looking forward to what we know and how we know things, I apologize, but that will have to be next episode. So we bumped that one for this episode. 
So the book More Than Two, we talked about on this show more than once. And even I think Mm -hmm. just two episodes ago, we said it. I don't remember how much of this I left in. I know I left in some of my saying I'm not sure, like I hesitate to recommend that book historically. I hesitate to recommend it because it has the term ethical polyamory, which one is sort of redundant because polyamory is supposed to be a an umbrella term for ethical non-monogamy. So it's sort of ethical, ethical non-monogamy. And then two, in the entire book, there's sort of a very small chapter on ethics. And the ethics in that small chapter are primarily utilitarian. So like, what's the most good for the most number? And I've talked before about how easy it is for utilitarian ethics to be tyrannical. For example, have a bunch of friends who think having a big orgy would be fun, and one person doesn't, then you can say, well, five of us will have fun if you join in. And so it creates this pressure that you have to do them for everyone else, and that you feel ethical about pressuring people into that sort of thing. So I do recommend it because it's a touchstone in the community. Everyone that I know has read it. And so it's a good way to start a vocabulary. What not to do in polyamory is more a description of the book. And in fact, that's how Franklin has often structured that discourse. He says, I made all these mistakes so you can learn not to do them. So I don't think that that's unfair or even necessarily negative, because as we all of us have said, we've made these kind of mistakes as well Uh in the Mm -hmm. past. Not the kind of mistakes that the article is talking about. (laughs) Yeah. I mostly object to the fact that the title pushes itself as ethical instead of just saying, like, a what not to do in polyamory. Like, if that was the title, like, what not to do in polyamory, I'd be like, this is a great book and that it does what it says it does. Or I would have said that. Right. Now I don't know what I would say. So what exactly was this article calling for? Um, It was calling for attention to the alleged misconducts of Franklin. Okay toward his nesting partners historically. And they actually have a list of initial steps they want the community to take. None of which were to stone and tar and feather him. Right, don't drag Franklin. Okay. Yeah. So here's the list of what they asked for, just real quick. Because one of the things I think they asked for was amplifying their voices. So here's a way to amplify their voices. Mm -hmm. By the way, go to the medium.com article. We will post the link everywhere this episode is posted. I'll put it in the description so you can find it very easily. Let's see. Share this statement and make clear your support for the survivors and this process. So that's what we're doing. Yes. If you are not already in communication with the survivors about these issues, respect their privacy and boundaries and do not contact them directly about this process or the testimonials, theirs, or Franklin's. If you have statements of solidarity or support, they may be submitted through an email listed in the article to the support team who will then funnel them appropriately. Educate yourself on abuse and transformative justice using reliable sources. And they have six sources listed that you can click through in links in the article. Do not give Franklin a platform to speak as an expert about abuse, accountability, or transformative justice, or promote works on these subjects. When booking speakers or interviewees on such sensitive topics as abuse, pay close attention to the specific qualifications and experience of the proposed resource rather than the public profile, celebrity status, or the certainty with which someone speaks, which that's a really good one. Qualifications are a big deal. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. Ask questions and read the survivor statements when they are available. Closely examine the narrative of Franklin and his partners for statements that attempt to define the reality, experiences, or feelings of the survivors. Confront narrative control and manipulation wherever you see it. 
be aware that Franklin and some of his partners are using their platforms to continue to deflect responsibility and to gaslight and discredit the women who have come forward. Consider this when you make decisions about which of their work you want to share, or what you might book them to speak or be interviewed about, before they have completed their own work and fully acknowledge the harms done. Consider the message you are sending to survivors and the kind of space you are offering if you give them a platform. We do not want Franklin or any of his partners to be excluded from their communities or severed from social support. However, we ask that the safety of survivors be prioritized at events, which may mean denying Franklin entry upon request to certain events or spaces that survivors wish to attend. We expect these instances to be rare and have only minimal impact on Franklin's access to the community. And finally, respect the humanity of everyone involved and avoid reinforcing abusive beliefs by refraining from using or tolerating dehumanizing language to refer to Franklin, his enabling partners, or any of the survivors or suspected survivors. And they have some more general stuff as well about not asking you to boycott his published work. None of the survivors have asked for that. And of course, Eve Rickett is the co-author on more than two. She is one of the people that put out a statement, but she didn't specifically name Franklin, to my knowledge. Right, that's to my knowledge as well. So on the same day this article came out, there was an article on... WordPress page called Our Better Natures, and I'll put this link in the article as well. There was a guest post called Anger Management, originally posted in October of 2018, and on the exact day that the when the, when the open letter came out on Medium, mm-hmm. there was an update to this post that says, this post was originally submitted anonymously, but I now have the author's permission to share their identity. Credit for this piece goes to Eve Rickett, writer and editor. So we don't know for sure that it's about Franklin, but that seems incredibly coincidental if it's not. Yeah, and that, I think that's incredibly it's incredibly unlikely to, that that happened thoughtlessly and unintentionally. What is said in the article? This is a first person written story about the experience of abuse. It is an account, yeah. Okay. And it's the most telling thing to read if you want to understand the kind of abuse that I think that he is being, being accused, accused of, yeah. of, and it matches also with the descriptions of the abuse in the open letter. Where the open letter has sort of umbrella terms like gaslighting and okay. and such. And so then this is all about the, the anger management title is, you know, of course, it's ironic. So it's about someone else managing your anger. Oh. And it's about the partner in the article doing. And this is really common. I see this a lot with men where they use words like crying is emotional blackmail. What? And a- wow. attack women who cry. And so that sort of thing where the, the person described in this article would respond to the anger of the writer by, or sorry, the anger of Eve, I guess, by saying, you're not really mad at me, you're mad at something else, you're the one that's wrong, correcting their anger, and using tactics like withdrawing all of their emotional support, care, feeling, and presence if they were presented with any negative criticism until the person who was saying, I'm being hurt, would give up and say, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Yeah. Extreme gaslighting, extreme sort of emotional control. Goodness. So have the, you know, I'm an expert. I have, you know, all the control over what matters to you and you will be the way that I think you should be or you will be nothing. Oh, it's a little too close to home. Okay, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And so he had a response on his Quora website. I actually think it was a What Made You Angry Today post on Quora. And his response was very defensive and flippant almost. Of course. I had it in front of me. If you want to read it, go ahead. I, I don't know if we should read it or not. I have screenshots of it and I have shared it with certain people who have asked for it, but less often. 
because I do want to respect the desire to not drag him and to allow him to go through the process that they asked him to go through. Well, I think that maybe we should do screenshots in the comments when we post this podcast. For our listeners, just so you know, there were a couple of responses that were deleted, which is why Michael has screenshots of them and not links anymore because they were deleted. And they were pretty hostile responses, which is probably why they were deleted. (laughs) But they were, I think it speaks volumes that they were his gut reaction to the situation. And I don't think that we should let that fall to the wayside. I think that those are important Like, I know that now he is completely accepting their invitation to help the process of re-characterizing himself and so on. But I I think the initial reactions are important, too. Yeah, that's that's a really hard one because I had someone ask me the question relatively quickly after that he was, once he said he was participating, they said, well, do you really think he he means it or is it just he's caved to social pressure? And my response to that was, I think he caved to social pressure, but I also think that's entirely the point. I mean, if you look at the open letter and if you think about what social censure does generally. That's what they wanted. They wanted him to cave to social pressure. Yeah. It allows us to socially hold accountable and motivate people into healthier behaviors for all of us through social pressure but part of the way that works is that there's an avenue that is better for them so i feel like re-upping the negative stuff that he put out there other than to just say that he did have a negative response that accused the ex of being the abusive one that accused the ex of lying and getting her friends to lie but i think that it is a perfect example of the gaslighting that his partners went through sure but don't you think that the response team could have posted this if they wanted to? You know they screenshotted all this stuff. Oh, yeah. You know as soon as he started responding, they captured it. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to post that, don't you think they would have? Oh. So um, I, I have a question about why exactly are we talking about this on this podcast? What is the purpose of bringing this up? Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> well, first is that was what the survivor pod asked us to do oh did they okay that was the number one thing was share this article raise awareness it was bullet point number one Uh, on our list that i read so to respect the survivors we felt like we needed to and i felt like it was important to do it to show that even in alternative relationships where we feel that we are open-minded and we communicate to extensive levels Uh that this still can happen yeah yeah it's a little upsetting that this has happened i mean this is one of the like the three top books that people recommend when they're considering polyamory Mm -hmm. right and i mean that's the other thing is you have a community of listeners that we have hopefully who are are always saying read books educate yourself and this is about one of those books that we have said multiple times is a good book to read. I mean, and this is something that's always true of written work, which is that written work can be good even if the authors are not. Yeah. I think I've said before on this podcast, I certainly said it elsewhere, the core group Sartre and Beauvoir were non-monogamous. I would not call them ethically non-monogamous in any sense of the word. They were monstrous in that regard, actually, to the point that when Beauvoir's letters came out after her death, people were not sure if she should still be considered a feminist icon despite consider- being before considered the feminist icon oh, yeah, yeah. because they were so abusive to other women that she was engaged with with Sartre. That does not make the philosophical underpinnings of existentialism not valid. It just means that you have to do what you should be doing, which is take them with a critical eye 
and make them your own and not play them and just automatically apply them. All right. One of the therapists writes in a response to one of Franklin's postings that this isn't about Franklin facing a single accuser, but rather a call for community accountability. We want to prevent future harm, not force a reconciliation. Huh, okay. This is the therapist from the Survivor Pods team? Uh, Yes, Samantha Manowitz. Fair enough. You changed my mind, especially going back to the original Survivor statement and the line, confront narrative control and manipulation wherever you see it. And I think this is a really good example of narrative control and manipulation. And then deleting it is a continued manipulation of that narrative. However, what we're going to do is link with the rest of our links to a Reddit discussion that reprinted the original response that I have a screenshot of and which was responded to by one of the press members, I believe the therapist press member from the survivor pod. So it also has an appropriate response. So I think that's the best, the most respectful way to give people access to it. Keep in mind though, he did delete it which is at least evidence of thinking it was a bad idea, if not directly contrition. Right. Where were these posted? These articles and these responses and such. His responses were posted on his Quora, which yeah. have two of them have been deleted. The original one was he responded to like an open prompt of what made you angry today to put out his statement, which was a sort of interesting response. And then the other one was a direct question where someone asked what he thought about this, I guess. And he responded that was on the next day, the 12th. And then both of those have been deleted. Now, we're not talking about the second article because we don't have screen captures of the second article. So we can't prove or cite word for word what we're saying. And we're trying to be very accurate mm-hmm. about what we're relaying. Also, the therapist cites that if you boycott the book, Eve Ricker is going to be the one that's heavily impacted financially because Franklin is no longer associated with Thorn Thorn Tree Press. But again, if you're going to read that book, the big thing is that in the pod statement, it does say that his recollection of previous relationships varies significantly enough from the people who lived those relationships on the other side as to call into question their validity. Oh, wow. Some of the stories may be as much works of fiction as anything else, but of course, you know, an illustrative use of fiction that tells an accurate point that speaks to you is still useful. And maybe they are accurate. You know, we don't know which one specifically, and we don't know which article specifically they're talking about, so we don't know those things. But I still don't think it's a good place to get a guide to ethics. I think it's a good place to get a lot of what not to do. I think it's a good place to get a touchstone that everyone in the community has read, Uh but... Unfortunately, I mean, I had been considering after our last episode where I had to really consider if I wanted to recommend that book coming back on and saying, you know what, I just I don't recommend that book. Don't read it. And then this happened. And they said, well, don't call for a boycott. And I'm going, well, I already had. <laughs> like, I'm not really calling for a boycott because of what happened. I'm suggesting you don't. Read. I'm deciding to no longer recommend that book. And in fact, withdrawing a recommendation if I've made one, because I don't think that book prepares you to treat your partners well. I feel like I've always been hesitant enough in my statement of that book to not count as a recommendation, but if it sounded like I was recommending it, I was already going to withdraw that this week, and then this just happened to also happen. Interesting. All right. Yeah, I actually, my first paper I ever wrote on polyamory in college was how it didn't have any actual ethics around it, and I cited primarily this book as evidence. Oh, interesting. 
I'm going to be bringing this up more and more often, but another thing that I'm really excited about is that in my local community in Charlotte, North Carolina, I am part of a new poly group called Young and Poly, and they actually scheduled, again, a week before this came out, or two weeks or three weeks, they've been doing it for a month now, they scheduled a book club about this book for the whole rest of the year. Uh And so that's what happens. You know, it's it's just, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is because it's so accessible because it's not technical because it is sort of just like a, it's just people being people kind of a book, which isn't a bad place to start with the first question of polyamory, which is do people do it? Can it be done? Do people enjoy it? Do people live it? But it's, but it's not what it proports to be. And that's again, like if it was just like collection of stories or my life is poly or, you know, like it would be a very different kind of a thing than if it says an ethical guide. Like what's it claiming to do? Right. Which is when he presents classes, that's the class structure that he presents is what not to do in poly or how to screw up poly or something along those lines. And he just says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And kind of goes through all the things that he did that screwed up stuff and tells you not to do it. I met him at the first Atlanta Poly weekend that I attended as an attendee. And he and Eve were there promoting the book. And I didn't know he was a celebrity at the time. I kind of thought he was goofy, to be completely honest, because everywhere he goes, he wears the rabbit ears. And didn't really think anything of it. I had never heard of the book until that weekend because, like I said, I didn't learn how to be poly through books or the internet. I learned how to be poly through trial and error. And then, like, in the next year, the book blew up and I realized, oh, shit, I, like, I kind of met a celebrity, I guess, (laughs) in (laughs) in the poly community. Let's talk a little bit about how we felt when the news came out last week. Okay. I'm going to go last because I'm going to be long. <laughs> I was going to say, I know Michael was pissed. <laughs> I don't know if pissed is even the right word. Do you want Do you want to go first, Sarah? Yeah, I can go first. When I first saw it, it was brought to my attention by you, Michael. I was really disappointed and frustrated. I feel like there's a lot of scrutiny. I mean, me doing research on this stuff, there's a, there's a huge stigma. And I... The research I'm I'm trying to do is to uncover truths about this, about this lifestyle to help ease the stigma a little bit. And this just does nothing but add to it. And so I'm frustrated and just just disappointed in general. I I mean, when you become a I don't know, when you when you get to the where you're you're in the spotlight like that, I mean there are a lot of eyes on you and I it's yeah, I, I keep coming around in the same word. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. That's all I can say. I, I, was, I was disappointed, but not shocked. Oh, that's unfortunate. Sure. The, the only reason I say that is not because I don't know Franklin. I don't know Eve. I do know Franklin's wife, but I don't know Franklin personally. The only reason that I say that I wasn't shocked is because, like I said before, is that he was kind of a celebrity. So uh-huh. we put these people up on pedestals uh-huh. mm-hmm. like they're not people. And especially like they're not people that didn't fuck up in the past. Yeah. Sure. So it didn't come as a shock to me because everyone's got skeletons in their closet. It's the consistency and the unrepentant scenario of these skeletons right. that's problematic. Nobody who is 
poly before there was a poly community didn't harm people in some way on their journey up. Yeah. In fact, nobody who dates doesn't harm someone. Everybody has a 16-year-old, 18-year-old, 20-year-old story whenever they started dating. Yeah. Where they did something unethical to someone before they understood that problem. The specific complaint is that he has this situation of this particular type of abuse and that he has been told by the people, he's been asked by multiple people to get help about it. And it's repetitive, yeah. Right, he he cuts off anyone who asks about it, they say, or they claim, you know, that he cuts off anyone that asks about it and then he repeats that behavior. So it's a consistent, ongoing current modern skeleton like it's not a skeleton it's a person yeah you know and that's the thing about it is it's not a memory for everybody it's like yesterday right it's not dead it's very much alive yeah (laughs) right and i think that's i don't want it to be a false equivalency like well but we all have that well we all have things that we're not as proud of as we could be but usually if you say that sentence because you realize that you made that mistake and you're growing from it Right. And that you're not continuing to currently reify that mistake in new experiences on a regular basis. I actually found a response from one of the survivor team about his initial responses and the deletion of them, just so you know. What'd they post? It just says, Franklin received a call-in letter from us the day before it was published and responded in classically Darvo, deny, attack, reverse, victim, and offender. Most of the content has been since deleted by him. He has now said in a public posting on Facebook that he wishes to convene an accountability team on his timeline. We would like it to be noted that this deletion of his initial response and subsequent reiteration of his position is part of his pattern of narrative control. We hope that he is accountable to his activity here prior to this posting on Facebook moving forward. That's why I think it's important that we put those screenshots in. My biggest problem, and I may catch shit for this, my biggest problem with the whole ordeal isn't what he's done in the past. My biggest problem is the original posts that he put out that I'm Just that now. I'm so vehement mm-hmm. that that don't go sure. away because it proves that history. Yeah. Yeah, when I was first doing the investigations on this, someone asked me what I thought and I said, "Well, I think that either the survivor pod and specifically, I guess, the mastermind, whoever Franklin's claiming that is, is the most diabolical evil genius of all time." <laughs> who went and did an incredibly large amount of research in what it looks like to be a victim, what kind of stories to tell, how to react authentically, and then got six people brainwashed to do it with her, and then took those six people and convinced four experts in trauma and abuse that they in fact were traumatized and abused, or... Something actually happened. Franklin can't see that he's hurting people. Yeah. And has an abusive pattern. Because like the just like that letter that you read said, this response that he wrote is exactly what I would expect someone to write if they couldn't tell that they were being abusive, if they were defensive about abuse, is entirely in line with the story that I read about Eve's story. It's exactly the things that she described. It uses attacking language that's shocking to me because I would never use that language on anyone ever. So, you know, just saying things like, she's doing everything in her power to try to hoover me back in. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just such a weirdly graphic and attacking. And there's a line at the end where he even claims that this person helped someone else get abused. Mm. It's just the kind of stuff that I can't imagine putting in a response letter. My response letter would be like, I am shocked. I am horrified that I may have hurt people. I'm totally going to figure out what went on. And yeah, right. And, you know, maybe, maybe I didn't do it. Maybe I did do it, but I'm at least going to go see and, you know, so it's just one of those two things. And in my experience, it's not usually the first crazy conspiracy. Like, what is it? Like, 
like Occam's razor. Right. The simplest <laughs> explanation is usually the correct one because it just defies credulity that like this now makes ten people that the original person has bamboozled or coerced or I mean according to this claim. Right. Yeah. And I've been in situations like Eve's story explains. I've been made to feel crazy. Sure. Yeah. I've definitely been a victim of gaslighting. There's a paragraph in her story that really hits home and that I think really affected me the most out of Mm. the whole story, out of Franklin's part, out of her part, out of all the comments. If I could read it, because I think... Mm -hmm. Please. I think that's the most powerful piece for sure. Right. Of the things that I've read on this. It's it's seven months since it ended. To others from the outside, I look like a person, but I'm not. I'm hollow inside. How can they not see it? I sit and I feel the emptiness. It's not him that's gone. It's me. I amputated the alive parts of me in order to be accepted by him. When I sit, when I'm quiet, I feel the empty space inside of me. My body is a shell, gutted. Open me up and there's nothing there. And that is, that's, it's so close to home for me. Because that's exactly what happens in those types of relationships. Yep. I don't know that I could have written a better description about how people feel afterwards. So when I read it, I I read that paragraph three times because it just Mm -hmm. grabbed my heart every single time. I hurt for her at that Mm -hmm. point and started to hate him. But then when the responses came out, that's what pissed me off. It was exactly (laughs) Mm -hmm. like we said, it was exactly like she described it. It is what you would expect if her story is true. He just continued in a public forum. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm really happy that he is accepting the invitation now to work with them and work with the therapists to try and better himself so his other partners are not subjected to this. That is what we need to talk about at the end. And that's that's why it's so important that there's a path for people that do do this sort of thing to have accountability and to get better, for lack of a better term, right? Because... If you just throw them out of the community, they're going to find other people still to be with and hurt. Right. So if there's not like a light at the end of the tunnel for them, sort of, and I'm not saying there should be a redemption arc because I hate the idea that you can do whatever and have a redemption arc, but I am saying there has to be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, social censure has no meaning. Well, I mean, like you say, that's the goal, right? Is to be a better person tomorrow than you are today. Yeah. And I think that that is the silver lining in this. I think that the the survivor, what you were calling the survivor pod. That's what they call themselves. They call themselves the survivor pod. So I'm using their language. Okay. The survivor pod, I think, means well. I think that the people sure. who are survivors of Franklin still care about him enough to try to help him. Mm-hmm. Which I think speaks volumes of him. And what you said was that I don't think he knows. When they said that somewhere, I don't remember which of the things I was reading, but they said that they don't think that he knows that their whole claim is that he gaslights and cannot hear criticism and attacks you if there's criticism, but is not, but isn't absorbing it. That's the whole problem is he's not right. absorbing the feedback from other people. 
I mean, if nothing else, the other silver lining is people will at least be critical of him going forward. But I don't think criticality is a bad thing. It's my favorite thing, right? So if someone's critical yeah. of me, that's great. That's fine. I don't mean it as an attack. I think people should be critical of everyone. But there is a standard where a lot of people just sort of assume, especially if you're a celebrity of some variety or an expert of some variety, that you're right about things. Right. Yeah, yeah. Whatever else happens, it's such a known thing in the community that I think most people who might date him in the future will know okay, well, I need to be critical of how he treats me. And if he treats me in a way that makes me feel bad, I need to call him on it. And if he says I'm not doing that, I'm wrong, then he's wrong. You know, that like, at least you have that, like, you don't feel crazy, because that's the thing about that kind of gaslighting is that, that being for others. He now has an incredibly large being for others. It's sourced to like a million people. So now mm-hmm. if you go to date him, it's not just like how you he presents himself to you and you see him and you also have all these other views going, no, 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 no. There is a potential problem here. So if you're seeing that behavior right. occurring, get help, get out. Watch for the flags. As for sure, the, the only relationship that I've been in where I would say that I was in a relationship where I was abused emotionally in a similar way, it was sort of a, a gaslighting kind of your crazy scenario. One of the number one things was that person was like, we don't talk about a relationship with anybody else. It's private. It's just between us. It's not okay if you talk huh. to anybody else. I was like, I mean, I guess because she's like, what's well, about me? It's my secret. So you can't tell like what's going on with me. I was very young at the time. She was much older than me. You know, I hadn't been in a lot of relationships yet, you know, and I didn't know a lot about relationships yet. And so I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. And then she could tell you any crazy thing. And it was just the two of you arguing. So every every argument had 50-50 weight. Now imagine if mm-hmm. that other person was an expert. You know what I mean? Right. So then yeah. you're, it's just 50-50 weight, except this person's an expert on this kind of relationship. So they're probably right, you know. And I accepted a lot more than I can ever imagine accepting after that relationship. But after that relationship, yeah. I got out. And once it was over, one of the first things I did was talk to everybody about it and go was this crazy was this crazy yeah was this crazy yeah and everyone was like yes and i was like oh son of <laughs> okay you know so then in the future anytime anyone was like well don't talk about a relationship i'm like i can't do it you know that was the relationship that taught yeah. me not to promise yeah you know that was a relationship where i was like no oh, no more promises not ever you know if someone says yeah. promise not to talk about this no mm-mm. yeah <laughs> no nope. yeah not doing it <laughs> but so i mean so there are obviously some big takeaways if you feel like you're unhappy, then you are, firstly. Mm-hmm. Because your feelings are valid. Right? Your feelings are always valid. But secondly, get some outside opinions. If you think mm-hmm. that and your partner's like, no, nah, you're crazy, go find other people and talk to them. Yeah. Because they have such a better view. And if your partner yep. says you're not supposed to do that or you're sharing their secrets, that is a horrible warning sign. Tell them they are wrong. Beep, These are your beep, life. Beep. You can share your life stories. <laughs> If they don't want you to share this story, then don't do it. Yeah. And then the other thing is, it's not always that one of you is right and one of you is wrong. I'm always talking about the problem with thinking about uh, reality is objective. Mm -hmm. Reality Mm -hmm. in relationships, especially, for sure. Like, I will say this concretely. In relationships, reality is not objective. We have a subjective life. We have no access to whatever looks like our objective reality, if we even have one. All of our objective reality is in the past. All the things about you that are facts are things that happened before now. What you are now is this freedom, this possibility. We don't know where you're going to go from now. So there's no objective reality about who or what you are. Some people just don't do well together. And it's not a judgment on either of them. But you get into this mindset like, hey, you're hurting me. And the other person thinks, well, if I hurt you, I'm a bad person. And I can't be because I'm not a bad person. So I didn't hurt you. But in fact, those can both be true. You can be a good person and hurt someone. I've totally dated Mm -hmm. people that I wasn't good for. That's why we don't date anymore. Like, that's the point of dating is to find out who you're good for. You know, it's it's always a learning experience. Either it's a way to learn, you can either learn to not hurt them, or you can learn that you're not Mm -hmm. compatible. 
But yep. you can't do is say you didn't get hurt. They're hurting. They're in pain. Yeah. Like they got hurt. <laughs> you don't get to decide if somebody else is hurt. Right. You don't get to decide if somebody else is hurt. I'm glad that it came out. I'm glad that it didn't continue to stay buried by his celebrity. Yeah. For sure. That's one of the things that I feel like the people around me got out of it was <laughs> he may not have been a worldwide celebrity, but he was definitely, is definitely a celebrity in our community. Oh, absolutely. No right. questions. And he is still fucking human. Right. Right. Do not put your celebrities up on a pedestal and think that they cannot make the absolute same mistakes that you or your neighbor can. Right. Human beings are always going to be human beings. A celebrity is just a human mm-hmm. being that you ascribed unrealistic powers to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, and it's no, you know, it's no good for the celebrities either. Like the other the flip side of that is in objectification, you talk about objectification that people think is positive. One of the hardest forms of objectification to fight is uh, fetishization. So you mm-hmm. meet people and oh. they say, I love Asian girls. And you go, that's <laughs> terrible. And they go, why? Yes. I like them more. I care about them more. I'm more interested in them. I think they're better than other women. I think they're better than other right. races. And you're going, that's not any better. It's not any better. Yeah. Have you met every single Asian woman? Because <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what you're saying. If you look at the writing about women, the primary means of oppression that men have used, this is straight out of Beauvais, by the way, this is not my original thoughts, <laughs> is deifying women. Women are the Virgin Mary. Women are perfect. Women are, the entire Middle Ages period is a period where they said women are already basically perfect. It's men who have to learn to fix their own sin and for that reason women just have to be protected and put in a box where they can't get less perfect Hmm. right and that's how they denied women right was that rights was that they didn't need to like learn to be better they needed to not change okay so men are going to go learn to be virtuous and take care of people and not and open the doors for women and women are just gonna do what women are supposed to do which is be born have kids die (laughs) right like and they've achieved their goal as a human being so it's not good to be told that you're perfect or amazing. Any woman that's ever had a guy come up to them and be like, you're the most beautiful, amazing, perfect thing I've ever seen, knows how terrifying yes. that sentence is. Yes. Yeah. That sentence yes. means... pressure. That like, sentence means they know nothing about you. They don't understand your Right. Right. You're like, oh, okay, moving on. Another fact is that in cases where people like obsess and then eventually kill women or other partners, but it's usually women, men usually mm. doing it to women, that's the kind of language uh-huh. that you see. Because what happens is the person builds a fantasy person that you are not. And then when you don't live up to their fantasy, they think you've betrayed them in some way. And they use this language of, you you know, you betrayed me. You're not as good as you, you know, I thought you were. Or you gave up something amazing. Or you could have had this a great, really, you know, like these kind of languages of falling, this falling uh-huh. imagery. And then that's what motivates them to feel justified in this violence. Because they didn't treat you like a person. They treated you like an object. And then you broke that facade of of objectification, right? So you also lose as the celebrity. People think, oh, being a celebrity would be great. Celebrities are miserable, statistically. Think about every amazing celebrity that killed themselves in the last year. You know, like being a super successful, super rich celebrity is not what makes you happy. And and so these kind of things are not helpful because they, they take us away from our being human. Right, it's the same claim that existentialism makes about the master-slave dynamic, right? That the master is completely objectified by being the master. Like, how can you be the kind of being that, quote, deserves to have humans that it owns? Right. You know, and be a human. Right. You can't be. 
And so this objectification and this dual consciousness, they wear at you. They hurt both your emotional state, your moral state, and your ability to be a person. Yeah. I think the thing that I hope comes from this is people, especially in a small enough community that this hope might actually work. Because I'm not going to say I hope Americans stop worshiping celebrity because I don't, I don't think that's, that's yeah, ever going to happen. Gonna happen. But I, I can hope that in our smaller community that we can use these sorts of things as touchstones to remind people at least that they should be critical of celebrities, that they shouldn't treat celebrities as celebrities. Right, so I think this has been a hard show, but I think it's also been a really good one in the sense that these are important steps for all the members of our community to participate in. If you know people that are in the community that don't listen to our podcast, and I'm sure you do, <laughs> um, don't tell them to listen unless you want to. I'm not uh-huh. against that. But send them the links, move the right the, the, the letter, the open letter, make sure that they read it up the visibility, participate in the mm-hmm. process. You know, help keep it going. And and read really do read the links, make some decisions for yourselves. And I'm actually gonna include a couple other links about the research for the article and other contexts like that to make sure that you have as much as you can reasonably look at to make your choices and make your own decisions. Uh, everything that we did say in this episode is as we best understand it, and we are not trying to say that we have new evidence. We've only read the same articles that everyone else has had, so if you got that impression that we claim, made claims, we apologize. Mandy excluded she had personal experience, and she related her personal experience. Yes. yes. And we also want you to remember that just because we're not monogamous doesn't mean things like this that happen in monogamous relationships don't happen in polyamorous relationships. Yeah. So read the articles, really take in what's said, and remember to not only protect yourself, but to be self-aware of how you're treating other people as well. And if someone tells you that you're hurting them, believe them. Yeah, seriously. Because you don't get to decide (laughs) if you're hurting them. And even if your answer is to leave the relationship, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Like, if you're like, well, I can't figure out how I'm hurting you and I don't want to change, I guess I'll just leave. That's still an improvement over hurting them and not leaving them. So next time we will run the episode that we were going to do this time on what you know, how you know things, and how that affects your relationship. And you'll join us in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.